If you're an average player, you want to be left alone, right? Because you want to be able to slide by. If you're a good player, you want to be coached. If you're a great player, you want the coach to tell you the truth every day. Did I hustle on that play? Did I make the right read? Did I play the guy with the right leverage? You want to know every play. Because you know why? They want to be perfect. Everybody here makes a choice to do one of those three things. Welcome to the Goat Consulting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to people striving to be a goat, the greatest of all time, serving it up in a way that you can get it in all stages of life. Hey, I'm Colby Jubinville, and welcome to another episode of the Goat Consulting Podcast right here in studio in VC Productions in Nashville, Tennessee. We've got a great show for you today. We are the Goat Consulting Podcast. We serve it up like Waffle House in a way that you can get it. In our 20s, they teach us to get in the game. In our 30s, we try to move up in the game. In our 40s, we try to stay in the game because those 30-year-olds are so damn good. In our 50s, we ask ourselves, finally, this is what the research says, what do we really want? What do we really want? John, we're going to talk about that today with yes. you. I know John wants to change that, and we'll talk about that. I we love it. We are the GOAT. Thank you. We are the GOAT Consulting Podcast. GOATs in sports are easy to see. They're recognized for their greatness. They elevate the play of those around them. But in business, it's people that compete on unique perspective unique education and unique experience. What they do gives them energy and it gives other people energy, creating new levels of challenge and new levels of opportunity. We have one in studio today. We're excited for him God, to be your here. energy is great today. I feel Thank so you. Wow. Right well, I mean, I need know, a Celsius. I, I've got <laughs> Wow. This is my second one for today. I'm so thankful for right, your passion. Always. And Thank you. And vision and, vision. and creativity <laughs> and trust. And the list goes on and on. Jeez. To the right, as always at the table, he's got his own clothing line. He's got a sprinter. He's got his 34th employee. He's got a mobile office. My good friend, Tyler Burnett. Tyler, we're so glad you're here today representing the 30s. And to the left, the LinkedIn whisperer, the calming force to our show, the 40s. And he's doing it better than anybody I know. John Byers, John, all the way from Brentwood. And then my good friend, that's uh, it's actually John's good friend. And that's always what happens is John brings in his good friends and brings them around the table. But we've got a great one today. He's got a lot of good um, friends. He is the founder of the Leadership Lab. He is the driving force behind Sage Hill con- uh, c- Counseling. It's easy for me to say. Uh, he considers himself a leadership advisor. And just in the 10 minutes of sitting here, I've taken notes um, and excited to learn more from him, Stephen James. Uh, we appreciate you being in the studio with us today. Thanks, Colby. I'm, I'm mostly glad to be here and a little nervous now. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a big intro. <laughs> like, well, we do we do everything big. John and I have been out to Texas together. We did it big out in Texas, and uh, we're going to do it big today. And we know that you do it big. Uh, you did you did mention that John is one of your favorite criers. and yes. Best criers best crier, ever Best cry award. I want to talk crier. about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, but Take we're excited for you to be here. Leadership Lab, Sage Hill Counseling, Leadership Advisor. You're stepping into a space that is so critical and so needed. In, uh, in those people that put themselves out to the world and to lead other people in the way that they do. It's exhausting. It's lonely. Yeah, it it's is. It's challenging. Thank you. Absolutely. And so yeah. we appreciate you being here. Now, this is the easy part for me. I just turn it over to John. But before I do, thank you, Dev Digital. Yes. Uh, it's not Thanksgiving yet, but it feels like it. And we're so thankful every day. John, you're wearing a green shirt. Yes, usually, for a reason. Parody. <laughs> usually you wear something. Uh, Stephen, we John always uh, always wears a shirt to set the stage and set the mood for the the talk for today. But yeah. um, I'm not sure. I'm, I see no writing. Well, Stephen's you know he is a he is a loyal listener of the show, so he probably knows this already. Right. Well, that's, that's with, why I said you're wearing a green shirt along today. Along with our global audience, but but we share that we are Faherty fans. We, yeah. And 
one of the greatest brands, maybe the greatest brand of all time. In very, my soft. Love very soft. Love Faherty. They're going to do $300 million in sales this year. I feel Faherty like, is great. I love their long sleeve button-ups, too. Why are they I not a brand? Why are they not a sponsor? I feel like uh, I've probably contributed half of that sales this year, <laughs> which is only like three visits to their store. Uh, and it's fantastic. So I wore this shirt for God, you today. It's so and, soft. Yeah. It's <laughs> this is going to be a great episode. It's going to be full of adventure, as I learned from Stephen uh, yes. in the first five minutes, that adventure means something is about to happen and hope means something good is about to happen and we're excited for the adventure and hope that it goes well here today Me so too. we appreciate you being here and john i'm gonna let you tee it up i'm and, gonna uh, say take it from there just a couple other things because i wasn't done with the shirt thing um <laughs> quite yet when i think of faherty i think of this rustic Ugh. cool yeah, very, california yet it's very california beach hold on ah. now I love yeah, it. Yeah, very soft brand. And that's kind of what I think about you. Rich, I'm soft. I'm soft. I think tender, he meant tender hearted. I think he meant cool, cool and rustic. Cool, so, cool and rustic. Rustic, yes. tender hearted. Adventurous. And Adventurous. Let, me, let me continue with the fact that I think I shared this with you recently. We met nine years ago, almost, okay. by the way. And wow. um, I believe that. Not only my life, but the the lives of my children's children's children mm. will be impacted because of you, and the work that we've done together over the years. The work we're doing now in Leadership Lab is so meaningful to my life and the trajectory that changed. And I'm really grateful for that. Thanks, John. Thank you. I'm super curious about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can talk more. Maybe <laughs> okay. it'll come out here. But we're we're here for you. And so glad that you joined us. We've been trying to get this on the calendar for months, yeah. I think. And yeah. you've been in Iceland and all over the planet. Iceland. I was in uh, Utah. Yeah. Huh. And what do you do there? <laughs> I have a lot of adventure. Now, I took um, in Iceland, I met 14 uh, executives, and we rode motorcycles for a week and talked about life and worked our butts off. Like Iceland's beautiful. It's it was one of the most epic, gorgeous, mm. raw, genuine places I've ever been. Huh. And when you're there, you're definitely there with its permission. Like it's it's oh, letting wow. you be there. You know, because it's both fire and ice. It's being formed and falling apart at the same time. We stood between the North Atlantic and Euro- European tectonic plates. They're separating about three inches a year in each direction. And now they're, they're probably 40 yards apart. And you could just walk down in between them and just kind of be in the middle of that. We saw a volcano. Wow. We saw a uh, glacier. We rode. I mean, just, we did some awesome riding. And then what at time night, of year did you go? We were there uh, first week of September. Yeah. Wow. And, and this was, is part of the Leadership Lab experience. Yeah, so Can this you is, talk more about yeah, that? So leadership what? Lab, we partner with a company called Wilderness Collective out of California to do these uh, leadership-intensive trips. So we'll usually ride motorcycles. This weekend I'm going out to the Grand Canyon with some guys to uh, from a company to camp on the edge of the Grand Canyon and ride side-by-sides and have a lot of fun and play and freeze our butts off because the weather's going to be awful. But we, So we'll go to some place that will take people out of their comfort zone, uh-huh. put them in what I call learning posture, so they're open and able to take in new things. Because one of the things, you know, Colby, you mentioned leaders are lonely. One of the ways we become lonely is by staying in the cul-de-sac of our own knowledge and experience, mm. right? We build these lives that feel secure and successful, but they actually just are kind of we're going around and around and around in circles, yeah. not really growing our lives bigger. So leaders that I often inter, inter, encounter 
have come to a place in their life where they recognize what got them here won't get them where they want to go, but they don't know how to get out of that cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So it could be business growth, life transition, merger acquisition, sales stuff. Like They're going through a transaction, and they need to re-look at their life. And so one of the things we do is take them out to nowhere, take their phones away for four or five, six, seven days, and we ride motorcycles or we ride side-by-sides. We do something fun and hard. And then we camp at night, we talk, we have a four-star chef that comes out there with us, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and great mm-hmm. conversations, we stay up too late. and Food is such a catalyst, along with all these other things. Yeah, the food is like. incredible. Like, that, the food of these things is so good. Um, next so this year, is the premise of Leadership Lab. I mean, this is yeah, just Yeah, it's like kind we just kind of condense it into, like, an experience. We're going to Portugal next year, back yeah. to Iceland, uh, Yosemite. We got, so that's not the core of what we do. Those are just, like, side hustles or side gigs that we're doing, but it all of it's about helping leaders become the best version of themselves so they can go and serve and create meaning and purpose for the people that they're, that they're leading. Mm-hmm. You talked about getting people out of their comfort zone, which is kind of what I've experienced in the nine years that we've known. Yeah. Anytime I've spent time with you over the last nine years. Yeah. And Com- comfort, I lo- comfort will kill you. I love Susan David's quote where she says, the, she, say? she says the uh, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Absolutely. Oh, hold on. Susan David. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty good. That's so really good, Joe. I, I want to hear about, like, as we still unpack a little bit about Leadership Lab, Sage Hill, kind of where you grew up in your world and how you've transitioned to Leadership Lab. Yeah. Like, that's a whole lot of discomfort, I would imagine. Yeah. And why did you step out of where, where you have been for most of your career in the counseling in the way that it always was, I guess? Um, man, to tell you that, I have to go back, like, really far. Is that okay if I go back? Mm-hmm. Really well, actually, he's supposed to ask a question that allows you to do that, so we're, <laughs> we're glad that you did. You Thank can, you. You can start with that question, which is your favorite childhood memory. Probably not the one that you were going to share. No. But you can start but there. certainly an impactful one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I was 17 years old, my parents, I, well, I'll say this. 17 years old, I was playing the Junior Olympics. Okay, uh, we we got to the. What uh, were you playing? Soccer. Okay. Yeah, soccer. Um, we got to the bronze medal match, won the bronze medal. My parents had come down for the for the finals, brought semifinals, finals weekend. There's nothing more disappointing than playing the bronze medal match, <laughs> because you play in the semifinals, right. right? And the winners go to the gold medal match. The losers, you get an extra game, so you got to stay an extra couple right. days. Yeah. And you're playing for the bronze medal, which yep. actually feels pretty good. I think the bronze medal might feel better than the silver medal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> silver medal, you <laughs> didn't get the gold. You went out. You All right, bronze medal, much. I could tell people the rest of my life, bronze medal, junior Olympic soccer. Yeah. You know, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Right? That, so that experience, it's like a two-week experience. It was really incredible. I was uh, just turned 17. Get home. The next day, my parents tell my sister and I they're getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating. So maybe one of the best memories of your childhood paired with right there, mm-hmm. right? And I was a goalkeeper, um, which is a like weird. People are goalkeepers in <laughs> soccer. Uh, true, true. Like they're like catchers in baseball, except weirder. Yeah, you know? why, why is it weird? Uh, because you don't actually get to play with the team. <laughs> like yeah, you're, nah. you're part of the team, but you're by, like a kicker <laughs> you're on an in island. football. Yeah. You're, you're on an island, and you have high pressure situations. High pressure. Your job is to stop 
the other team from scoring a goal. Yeah. And my actually game improved a lot in early high school when I realized and accepted that no matter what happened on the field, if the ball goes to the goal, it's my fault. Like radical responsibility. Mm. Right. So I took that on. Um, and I'd love to manage and, and lead the 10 guys in front of me and organize and yell a lot. I was a very vocal, undersized goalkeeper at 5'9". So I had to make up for it in other ways, like aggression. Uh, always played dirty. Um, <laughs> I had to, right? Love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so, yeah, you get the Junior Olympics, get a bronze medal, come home. Next day, my parents tell me they're getting a divorce. Mm. And that it was devastating. It, it uh, They didn't have a good marriage, and we didn't have a really healthy family. It was a, um, as I've as I've come to find out, most high performing people come from uh, early childhood disadvantage. Absolutely, and that we we if we're high performing or leaders, a lot of that's because we've been having to lead from a very early age, right? Mm-hmm. So either from trauma, scarcity, abandonment, neglect, abuse, betrayal, something's happened where we've had to step into a gap. Survival skills, yeah. And our survival skills end up being our calling card. That's right. Right? Yeah. So um, so some stuff was happening, way, some addiction and other things were going on in my family way before that. But that was kind of this moment where it all fell apart, and I knew I was alone, you know. Hmm. And I needed to make my way in the world, um, which is a good good realization to have. Because I know 50-year-old men who have not realized that yet, yes. you know, that they have to make their way in the world. Yes. And no one's going to hand them something. Yep. Um, but what was created in me was a drive to build things that bring people together and help people grow and become and stay connected together. Right? That, that was this thing, the seed planted deep in my heart in that heartache. And so, you know, that looked like sports in college. Uh, it looked like getting married the day after college. You know, married Heather, so fortunate. Uh, neither one of us had the maturity to get married at 22, yeah. 23, mm-hmm. but man, I married so well. Yeah. Like I would love to take some credit, but uh, thank you. Col- college where? I uh, went to Belmont. Played, played Belmont. soccer. Yeah, played Belmont. Okay. Uh, you co- seemingly have pre- have like paired these significant moments in your life really close to one another. Well, they kind of. Well, I liked ride hard and don't die. You know, go fast, <laughs> don't die. So, so like jump ahead. You know, my first job was in marketing and PR and all that, and because I needed a job, I real quickly found out that I just it it um, for me was whether I was good at it or not, it was dragging my soul down. Like I just wasn't meaningful for me. It wasn't. I had a decent job at a really young company where I got to do a lot of things and learn a lot, but I was in leadership. I was 23 years old, mm. running a team of like seven, eight people. Like that's prime crazy. prime leadership. Oh, right there at 20. We hired right? a side note. Uh, we just hired another employee at Leadership Lab. She started yesterday. Yesterday was her first day of her first job. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. uh, it's so fun. I saw she would. I you just don't have even her have to like us. unlearn things no, at that point. And so we stopped at meetings today. Like we're in our, our leadership team meeting today. We run traction. So we're doing our ELT meeting today before I came over here. And, you do the book, tra- the book traction? Yeah. And we run the traction process in our company. Okay, cool. And I, and I, so it, I'm reading that book right now. Awesome. It's, it's, we work with big companies, small companies, like how to integrate some of that stuff, but it's a great operating system. Okay, cool. Um, it doesn't answer all the questions about business, but it, it gives you a structure to begin to play well. So we were at our traction meeting and I would have to stop and explain like, 
hey, a KPI is a key performance <laughs> indicator. So we're we're looking at our scorecard and we're looking at our you know lead our lead indicators. And, and I was having to explain to her this is what a KPI is. I'm thinking like no one did that for me. I had to go figure it out on That's my own, right. Yeah. right? So I was like, I'm so excited to have this young, enthusiastic, hardworking person on my team. And, yeah. But it's like we would stop in the meeting and then go, okay, here's what this means. You know, here's what a rock is. Here's what you know, <laughs> uh, all this stuff. So it was so fun. But anyway, so I I recognize looking back that I you know was student body vice president, junior class vice president, president of the youth group president of youth and government in high school, president of model United Nations for the state of Tennessee in high school, uh, captain of the soccer team in college. My first dream was to be a soccer coach, professional soccer coach. Mm. So I coached at Belmont. I had club teams. I started building teams. I had three or four assistant coaches working underneath me. But it wasn't it wasn't meaningful enough for me. And I found out you couldn't make much money being a soccer coach. Like the upward trajectory was like really hard. And there's very few people that were doing well in it financially. And to do advance, you had to move all the time. And we were Nashville people. Like, our roots run deep here. I met Heather at Belmont. You know, we're both from Middle Tennessee. Like, we wanted to be here. So as I started dreaming about what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be in the world, I knew I wanted to run my own thing. Like, I knew I don't yeah. – uh, I kind of need to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. that's that's just – I do not anymore think leaders are better than followers because with, if you're leading and no one's following you, that's called being alone. Mm. And so followers are actually more important than leaders. There's not any real – there's some research being done now on followership, but there's very little about followership. There's a lot on leadership. Mm. Yeah. I think we need to be thinking about how to teach people to be really engaged followers, like how to give their heart, their head, their hands to something. Um, but – Anyway, I've been leading since I was, looking back, like eight, nine, ten years old in different contexts. Wow. And so I don't know how not to assign myself extra responsibility. Yeah. Right? Like, I see a gap. I want to step into it. One of the things I'm learning as I approach 50 is how to, like, unwind responsibilities. Just because there's a gap doesn't mean it's mine. Yeah. You know? Just because somebody called, I have to say no. Like right. I, my No, 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 no is my favorite word right now. Because it leaves room for better yeses, mm. and we went. So many times you're scared you're not going to get another yes, so you say yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And we can talk about abundance mindset all day long, but when the rubber yep. hits the road, you only yeah. have a certain amount of time, right? It's like I get scared. It's like where's that next thing coming from? It's like, but you, if you're not yeah. practicing abundance, and you're not living and leading open handedly, like you're, you're, the hand state, the natural state of the hand from a baby when it's born is a grasp. Mm. And that's a, that's a first journey thing. What can I grab hold of? You know, do I have what it takes? How do I climb this mountain? As we get towards midlife, we have to start to learn to, f- well, we need to, if we can learn it earlier, it's great. It tends to happen for people in midlife, where they have to start learning to pry their own hands open and live in the abundance of what they have and not, not try to squeeze the life out of it. Because that's what happens if you, if you hold too tight, you squeeze the life out of things. Mm-hmm. And then you can't ever take something out so something better can be put in, right? So you stay in that cul-de-sac of just, like, doing the same thing over and over again. And nothing really um, grows. Would you, you would you relate that to taking a piece of pie instead of making the pie bigger for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Or just, like, let's start a bakery. 
Yeah. Let's just make a bunch of dang pie. Yeah. You know? Like instead of make the pie bigger, let's start a bakery. Let's just start yeah. a bakery. Right. That, see, that's that's how you gotta think though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we could make the pie bigger, but let's start a bakery. Yeah. Man. So what kind of pie do you want? A bunch want? of pies. So I'm gonna finish my story, please, John. That was, I was, that's what I was gonna say. So please so, finish. So that led to me, you know, going to get a counseling degree, which is a weird path. It did not mean to end up getting becoming a licensed professional counselor, but that job pays. I started a private practice. I did that for um, almost 20 years. And then I began to transition out of that. Started a counseling center. You mentioned Sage Hill. Out of that grew uh, from zero to four counseling centers really quick. And I, I basically got an MBA, a CPA, and a, a dumbass degree in about three years. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just learned a lot about what it means to lead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, and grow a business and made every mistake you can make. Yep. Like made them all. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, I did not do that. One of the guys in Leadership Lab said last week when he was starting his second business, he built a business, sold it, building another business, was short on cash, wrote himself a paycheck, and went to the payday loan place so he could get cash to put it on the paycheck. Wow. <laughs> so he could do payroll. I've uh, never done that. Yeah. But com- putting compounding interest at a whole new level. That's called going to jail. That's yeah. called fraud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think entrepreneurs do crazy things like sure. that. Sure. Yeah. You know, like we, our relationship with risk is really different compared to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't right. make. I've got, we're going to talk about that. So okay. don't go down I will, that path. Okay. That's, so, a, that's so, a great. So as I built Sachel Counseling, what I was recognizing was how lonely I was. Mm. And I, most of my clients so I was recognized how lonely I was, and I was also recognized how burned out I was working in the mental health world. And yeah. aren't those two things, like, two of the biggest drivers around, or that we find, maybe I should say, in the C-suite these days? Yeah, so, yes, leadership is lonely. And so if you don't have a Knights of the Roundtable peer experience where you can take your armor off and be encouraged, engaged, challenged, confronted, Held accountable, like celebrated, such as leadership lab. Yeah, there's yeah. also some awesome other great things. But yes, if you don't have that, you're going to lead alone, and lonely leaders make bad decisions mm. because they end up only seeing the world their way, right? And they so that's you got to be connected, and then and then the harder you try to make that thing work that way, the more burned out you're going to become. And yes. burnout, the number one driver of burnout is a lack of meaningfulness, not fatigue. If you're doing something that means something to you, you can go hard, hard, hard. For a long time. For a long time. Yeah. The minute it starts being exhausting, I mean, you have to take breaks, but you start like being soul-weary around it, it's lost its meaning, and you have to look mm. for a different difference. So you have to change your environment make more pie. You know, you got to create something more meaningful. Yeah. And so that's what was happening with Say Chill. I was, as a clinician, burning out, right? I was yeah. – I was. I, I, I like, I'm a growth mindset, improve, 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 get better at it. I'm a high responsibility, high conscientious like person. And I, I was building teams of therapists. I was building a company and my therapeutic work was starting to diminish. And I was, I'd, you know, worked with professional athletes and professional sports teams and recording artists. Like I had reached the top of that career and I was, I'd heard so many negative stories like so much heartache and so much despair and mm-hmm. just so much that I was just I needed to get away from it 
Do you remember the trigger event that made you say, I, I, I can't do this? My work was sloppy. It was. Because I'm over here teaching what great work looks like. And you're not doing it. And I'm not doing it. And I, and I, that bothers me to no end. Yeah. You know? Conscious, you talked about. Yeah. And so I've, I've got some advisors in my life, and I went and started talking to them about that. And they were like, well, what else would you do? I'm like, maybe I'll be a financial advisor, or real estate developer. Like, I was thinking, like, I was getting outside, way outside. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, what happened was a couple of my clients are running companies, and one guy said, hey, can you come – our, our management team is not functioning well. Can you come do like a marriage counseling session for our management team? I'm like, yeah. And I went in, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And I could charge what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really was like, it's a different, because you're creating a different value proposition. That's right. right? Yeah. And so um, I sent an email out. I started, I went back and started thinking and sent an email out to a bunch of people I knew or business leaders saying, hey, I'm going to start a group and we're going to meet a day and a half, a quarter we want to come and talk about life and work and how those two intersect. Come on. And it like it it was hard to tell people not to come. Mm. And that was the beginning eight years ago of Leadership Lab of like un- trying to understand, do a lot of research. Like I go into the lab and do a lot of research about what it means to lead well. What does it mean to, to engage your story in a meaningful way? How do you create a context for other people to find meaning and purpose in the world? Because yeah. I think leadership is a sacred, virtuous act. It's not just functional. And so if we're doing it well, we actually make the whole world better. Um, And there's some ways, there's some techniques and art around that, but there's also a mindset around that. And the heaviness of what we're doing can't just be about money. Uh, It can be, but it's really hard to lead that. Yeah. Um, We we know a global research study found that when people are looking for a different job, they're unhappy, and they start thinking about a different job, the number one thing they're they're missing is lack of meaning and purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number two is is direct professional development and mentoring. Yep. Number three is money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you can provide one and two, guess how insignificant money becomes to somebody. Right? It changes what people really they need enough money to to answer questions about their lives and to you know money's important. But money's just a resource. It allows us to do things and help people and help ourselves and provide some safety. It doesn't answer what's life about. It doesn't make the struggle worth it, you know. And so so that's what a leader does, right? Yeah. And so as I so as I started Leadership Lab, it like it it kind of sprouted out of my own desire to not be lonely as a leader mm-hmm. and to get feedback. Um, there are other programs like EO, YPO. I've I've been around, spoken a lot of those events. Uh, and they're actually incredible. Um, but what's missing in those is those don't address the human heart. And so we were talking before, you know, we have this iceberg model that, that we really think that strategy and operations are like 10% of the iceberg. And the 90% of what's below the waterline is like who you are and how you relate with people. Sure. And so leaders need to spend 90% of their time working on that mm-hmm. so they can spend the 10% of the time working on the strategy and operations that actually inform how people show up in something. Right? I love it. And most most leaders are ineffective or exhausted because I've done this. We flip it. How do I come up with a better policy or better procedure yeah. to admit, to account for the fact that, like, all my team comes to work, they take these stray cats out of their emotional sack every day and let them run around the ah. office. As, a, as opposed to bringing the guy in and saying, hey, let, let's talk about what's really going on here. Yeah. Yeah, what's really happening? Yeah. Like, I, I – 
I was with a company. They've got a senior level guy at a company, and he parks in the visitor's parking spot. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, get the guy in here. Like he's not a leader. Yeah. Like has anybody told him? Yeah. That's a that's a customer spot. And you yeah. and how how many conversations do you think there are about the guy parking in the visitor spot? Probably a hundred. Can you believe Bill parks that in the visitor spot? Is in there I again. can't believe he's doing that. This is going to bring this company to an end. I cannot believe they allow this to go on here. Right. It's. And I said, was well, anybody told Bill? <laughs> right. <They're> like no. <laughs> no. Well, let's go tell Bill. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Bill wants to be a jerk. <laughs> hey, Bill, come walk down here. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's explain. You what did he say? Uh, he, he he nodded on the outside, but guess what happened the next week? What he quit. He, no, he parked in the visitor spot again. Oh, okay, Come keep on. going. And Bill. So do you, so what does that mean? What do y'all think that means? I don't think so. No? I think this guy is not he didn't a fit, understand the importance? Not a fit for that culture. Mm. He he's what, not what what fit of what culture would he be then? because uh, that wouldn't fit any culture. It'd fit a culture of him. First, it, first one, first serve. Would, one parking fit, spot in his driveway, maybe. It would maybe. fit a culture of free agents, a group of free agents yeah. that get together and operate in a free agent way. It would. Yeah. yeah. It's not customer-centric, not yeah. client-focused. Relational. So, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm going to have to pull us in here for just a second because um, I don't want to – I don't want to waste asking our – one of the ways that we honor our guests is we ask them to give us their own definition of a goat and then share a goat. You know what's coming. Well, I, <laughs> I, I never know what's coming, actually, with you. However, we I hope. don't want to cut that short, so I think, yeah. based on where we are, I think we may need to land the plane and then start – if you can stick around, let's yeah. start the, the back around. half of this conversation with those two. Yeah, I think that the- – when do you ask me about my music list? That, that's at We're the, getting there. That's okay. at the end. That's a, that's See, he, is, the end. he is a, a loyal listener. Well, yeah. So, so adventure, as you describe it, is something is about to happen. And what is about to happen is we're going to take a pause. This is Tyler's favorite part of the show. And we're going to come right back off. in for part two with our good friend Stephen James for Tyler Burnett. <laughs> John Byers and Stephen James and Mikey over there on the board. I'm Colby Jubinville, and this is the Go Consulting Podcast. Oh.